Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Chris Johnson, welcome back to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. It's so great to be in your company again. How is everything going for you? Oh, everything is terrific. The world of um, the world of singing still exists after all of the AI announcements. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. we still we still have a job, guys. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen evidence of that too. Well, I am a sucker for a pun. Um, so I was very attempted actually to introduce you a little bit differently with a twist today. So seeing as we're talking about the jaw. How do you feel about being known for the next 45 minutes or so as Chris Johnson? Chris Johnson, <laughs> I like it. Who's just so jawsome, such a jawsome guy. I'm going to write that down, Chris Jawson. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah? I'll put that on my website or my, yeah, my next workshop about the jaw. I'll, I'll, I'll credit you. Thanks. It's mainly because my name has been made such a mockery of by Amazon that I'm just willing to drag other people down with me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, my, my wife's old, um, her maiden name was Cheryl Ambedes, which is Greek. Yeah. Um, so she would get uh, phone calls from uh, salespeople. Can I speak to Sharon... Sharon Lambides, please. Uh, so she would, no, 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 no. That's my surname. It's not Sharon. It's Natalie. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel your pain on that one, or rather, she does. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a very brilliant vocal assessment process, and in that, there's a section on articulation. So why is it important for us to consider the jaw in particular? Well, the jaw, yeah. So the jaw is often sort of seen as its own issue a lot of the time, isn't it? You know, I have jaw tension. Um, I need to relax the jaw. Mm. So the muscles usually that get a lot of the attention are the ones that make you bite, you know, mm. the one that close the jaw, because we also get a lot of sensation in those muscles. We can get aches. We can feel the lumpiness even into the head when it's the temporalis muscle. We can even get headaches from that kind of thing. So those muscles get a lot of attention, but when I um, work with teachers on their, their pedagogy and, and articulators, um, so some of the most interesting connections uh, of the jaw are the ones below the jawline, mm. which certainly when I was singing and when I was learning coaching in the beginning, we never really talked about those as jaw muscles. And they're called suprahyoids. Um, uh, which is above the hyoid bone. So yeah, a lot of them connect from the hyoid bone just um, above your larynx uh, to the jawline in some way, the mylohyoid, if anybody's interested, which is the floor of the mouth, um, geniohyoid. They're two like, you know, very important ones. Digastric is another one, um, which means that then, so the position of the jaw um, at any given time can change the length and tension of those muscles that connect from the jaw to the hyoid bone. So their influence on the larynx is pretty big mm. in not even just in terms of the position of the larynx, but also um, the, the position of the cartilage of the larynx, meaning that we can affect pitch or register via the jaw as well. 
Mm. Um, so that's for me why why I think it is uh, actually really important and the solution to a lot of issues or even just the way into a lot of issues, not always the solution, but uh, a spark of change, if you like, um, is via the jaw. Mm. Ideally then, how do you want the jaw to be behaving when we're singing? Yeah, well, there's no hard and fast answer on that one because it's all kind of... Um, it's all kind of use case, if you like. Um, but I think one thing that we could all probably have more of, myself included, absolutely everybody, is that the jaw's uh, function and range of motion mm. is unrestricted, right? So that's part of not necessarily position of the jaw, but the function of it. Uh, and so things like our speech pattern, um, our posture, the position of our head on our shoulders, how we chew. Lots of those things can encourage our jaw into a pattern. And that pattern might be a very narrow pattern, one that doesn't utilize um, or explore the full range of motion of the jaw. So, you know, over time that could turn itself into a dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what's, what's very relevant to all singers is to have a, a protocol or an exploration of the jaw that explores movements and ranges of motion that that don't get used on a daily basis. And I think that's really, that's really important for, for a lot of people. Mm. Physiologically, if someone were to have, say, an overbite, how is that going to impact their voice potentially? And because it's physiological, is there anything that us as coaches can help with? Yeah, sure. So, you know, underbite, overbite, like the position of the jaw coming forward or receding um, from what would be considered a normal position. Um, there's not a lot that's normal these, you know, these days. I think we've, we're sort of, um, as a, as a human race, we're in we're embracing the fact that we're all basically wonky. Um, we always will be. Uh, so that's cool. So as long as things are functional um, over time, then, you know, th there's a lot of variations that we can go, okay, let's not get too het up on that. But nevertheless, um, that still means that there could, there could still be some transferred issue to the voice if the jaw does have a pronounced, like, forward position or receded position. Because the for let's say the, the forward position of the jaw, where the chin is jutted forward, that will put tension into the floor of the mouth, into the muscles that connect the jaw to the to the hyoid bone. Mm. So it will make them tighter. Mm. That will absolutely change the way that the jaw functions as it moves up and down. Okay. Mm. Um, also, because there's a, um, a connection to the hyoid bone, if there's tension in those muscles from the jaw position, then that will also influence the hyoid bone into a different position so a jaw that comes forward may pull the hyoid bone slightly forward mm. um, creating a slightly forward tilt on the larynx maybe which might mean that someone never finds like a fully thick fold because it's almost like there's a just a perpetual tension mm. that's just transferred from the chin all the way into the larynx um, so that's that's quite possible. And then whereas receding the jaw, um, particularly can do the, could do the uh, opposite potentially, it can slacken those muscles, it could, that means that the larynx may well then lower, because mm. the larynx isn't, or the hyoid bone isn't then being pulled upon in a particular direction. 
So that would change even the acoustics. Um, you know, a lower larynx tends to have a warmer sound, but then a receded jaw can also, for anybody who's interested in the complexity of it, the tongue sits on the jaw as well. That's its kind of resting place. Um, so when the jaw moves back, the tongue will move back with it, um, which means, you know, when, the, when we consider that the tongue's root goes all the way down into the throat to the hyoid bone, a, res, a retraction of the jaw would also probably mean a retraction of the tongue. And then we might get na a more narrowed throat, if you like, and that can have then an impact on someone's uh, voice in some way. Mm. So the, the impact is, is, is pretty wild. Uh, but then in the other direction, if you, you know, putting your chin in the air, for example, and there's an, a very much an upward pull on the larynx, um, that can facilitate thickening of the vocal folds because it, it kind of changes, it opens the visor of the larynx, if you like it, it parts the cricoid and the thyroid from uh, cartilages from each other, which usually corresponds to a thickening of the vocal folds. Mm. Mm. So which is why we sometimes do see like, you know, singers who are looking to get a, a very strong, robust sound. My always one of my favorites was the guy from Boys to Men, uh, Wanye Morris, every big note he did in his live shows and I've, i'm a fan i've been to see them five times you know he points to the ceiling and his his chin is straight in the air when he does his like really high belt stuff yeah you know uh, dramatic it's dramatic it looks amazing but even when he's not trying to be dramatic and sat in a chair playing a guitar he'll still do it mm. you know for him it's serving a it's serving some kind of technical or influence on the on the register that he he can that's the way he belts. Mm. And is there going to be a position where the jaw is just too wide? It, it's overextended and it's therefore going to be unhelpful. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And that that's part of um, part of the the helpful training that that can come from articulation, especially when we influence the jaw is that, you know, a lot of stability issues are because of the jaw. Mm. Um, because if the jaw is um, overextended and also over articulated, too much pronunciation of words through the jaw, that obviously puts a lot of movement into the jaw, mm. which very much changes the, the, the tension underneath the chin. And then so the larynx can start moving around rather a lot you know, as a, almost like a representation of the jaw. As the jaw goes down, the larynx drops with it. Mm. Um, so when some people get into the middle of their voice, um, into the passaggio where they want to remain strong, but they might um, lower the jaw a bit too much, they kind of wob, they w can wobble off things rather, mm. rather easily. Um, so, you know, singing whilst biting the finger, for example, or having a bone prop, which is something uh, you hold between your teeth, even just a cork, uh, between your teeth, puts stability to the jaw, much more likely to have stability in the larynx, making the passaggio more manageable. Mm. So that, for me, is a very, very important um, uh, technique, if you like, for, for working on stability in the middle of the voice. Uh, the knock-on effect of that as well is when the jaw doesn't move as much, the tongue moves a little more, Mm. Um, because it, the tongue almost needs to make up the pronunciation of the, of the vowel. Otherwise you wouldn't, the vowel might not sound like the vowel or the consonant might not sound like the consonant. So 
whenever the jaw or the lips moves less, the tongue moves more to get the pronunciation right. So that means tongue mobility is a great thing in singing, mm. a really good thing. So we can get to the tongue via the jaw as well. Mm. And how does that correlate into something like a lisp? And I know that we're not speech therapists, but what might be happening there when when a lisp is present and the jaw might therefore be coming forwards? Yeah, well, I mean, in a, in a lisp, depending on what kind it is, but if we were to say like the sort of lisp that is um, a result of the tongue tip um, not being coordinated, so not raising up for things like the S behind the gum ridge, um, some for the N as well. Sometimes we get a flat tongue, na 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 na, um, within pronunciation. That means that the tongue is doing less work. It's it's less mobile to lift to the roof of the mouth to do those phonemes, um, if you like. So what then that much much like we just said that principle of when you don't move the jaw, the tongue moves more. Well, in the reverse direction, when the tongue doesn't move, the jaw moves more. Mm. So if the tongue isn't moving in in a particular way, then the jaw can pick up the slack and do the work. Um, now, in, in a lot of cases, that does mean then that the jaw can get a little bit overworked. Mm. Um, and then what's often seen in those circles, um, speech therapy circles, is you get what's called maladaptive jaw tension. Mm -hmm. You know, where the tongue is immobile or less mobile, the jaw does more. And over time, that just overstresses the muscles. They, You know, the jaw has to protrude and lift a little bit to get the sound of that phoneme back to sounding uh, acceptable mm. if you like and then that, that can leave the singers with tight jaws so there are exercises then that are usually prescribed that we can still prescribe them as coaches mm. which are where the tip of the tongue uh, is held against the roof of the mouth and then the jaw is moved around <laughs> when you add voice the jaw is moved around to try and break that issue apart to try and retrain it mm. so that the tongue and the jaw are now not stuck in this sort of maladapted pattern where um, they're both stiff together, but now we're, we're doing exercises to unstiffen them and give them a relative independence from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and that usually helps um, in some way. And we can get very creative about how we, if you like, anchor the tongue by the tip and then do jaw movements without losing that anchor of the tip and that uh, you can do it in many different ways you can get creative mm. when it comes to things like dentistry if somebody is is having braces or maybe jaw spaces or invisalign anything like that how is that going to have an effect on the jaw even like wisdom teeth coming through what's that all going to do to our experience of singing and and what we're potentially feeling in that area yeah that's a great question i mean i'm sure it's a lot wider than the view i have um in general but you know if just if we was to think about it on the fly the first point would be we all respond differently to pain mm. um but usually we we um if it's not expected or if it's brand new we try and we try not feeling it, let's put it that way. So if there's anything about the way we use our mouths, jaws, chew, speak, that is less painful, we'll probably do it. Mm. And we probably will do it instinctively, not incredibly thoughtfully, mm -hmm. but you know, a bit of both. So, you know, we'll, we'll slide into a pattern of change without realizing we have slid into a pattern of change. Mm. So over time, if it's painful enough for a long enough time, which often people do struggle with their wisdom teeth, low grade for months, uh -huh. even years, 
that could that could make a change. Even the amount of saliva that that sort of generates <laughs> might have you sort of sort of just kind of trying to make sure it doesn't fall out of your mouth uh, all the time. Um, but when it comes to braces or Invisalign or something, um, the great thing about the human ear and the brain together is is it, it there's that's a feedback. So we would hear our voice. And if we've got Invisalign in and we start to sound a bit strange, mm. unlike ourselves, our self-image will make a change so that we sound like ourselves again. Mm. You know, that's part of how we feedback and how we preserve our sense of identity is we have to, you know, we have, we have to sound like us, otherwise it's just weird. Mm. So once again, we could slip into a pattern where we actually change the way we pronounce consonants to fit with braces or Invisalign that might not really be optimal. Mm. And then when the Invisalign are gone, we might then be stuck with that pattern for much longer than we had the braces for. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's a mechanism of like, you know, the, the, how we hear and how we feedback and our sense of identity can cause that. So I, I find that's how, in my view, how that um, that type of procedure could could cause a change in someone. I do go to the dentist, but it's been like an avoidance for me hate it hate it very much and <laughs> me too is uh, the bloody wisdom teeth are coming through and, and they're growing into my cheek which is so efficient um, <laughs> thank you yeah. yeah thanks teeth um but i'm the same i had as a kid i had such horrendous experiences at the uh, dentist i've never lost that fear same with giving blood i've had two very difficult blood giving experiences i still went yeah but it didn't every time i let down i was still going oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um but this is the part where i pretend like i know what i'm talking about in the anatomical sense and make myself look like a right knob but <laughs> i'm just kind of full of regret that i didn't pay attention in biology at school but then it was like coloring the organs and <laughs> is that the level coloring books that was it that was yeah. it. What I color number one red okay <laughs> they're, they're all pretty much red aren't they yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um, but we've mentioned like the temporalis the um the the geniohyoid i think that was one of them the mylohyoid the trapezoid the, yeah <laughs> uh, all of those <laughs> <laughs> um, what about the things like buccinator and pterygoids, which sound like Jurassic beings? <laughs> yeah, the pterygoids, the P and T together. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, the pterygoids actually, um, <clears throat> they're quite tricky. Um, and I don't know if you've ever had yours massaged. I think Stephen King did get in there. Absolutely. And so they're very susceptible to getting tight. Um, and for anybody who, yeah, they're kind of like, you can get to them on the, uh, on the upper gum, mm. um, between the gum and when you go far enough back and up, you can feel your gum and then you can feel the, your jawbone on the outside and within there, um, is the, uh, one of the pterygoid muscles, but yeah, they do help with the sort of the forward and back motion of the jaw, but also a lot of the side to sides as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so of course, if, if, if in speech patterns there, uh, or in chewing patterns or anything there, um, get used to being in a particular way, then they can easily restrict jaw movement to a narrower range of motion. So again, that's why when we do jaw movement, lots of people do jaw open and close. Mm -hmm. um, but that put, that just puts a lot of the movement into like, you know, the muscles that basically run vertically. Mm. 
a lot of the time. So yeah, you know, massaging the masseters and doing the jaw down. Um, and although like bringing the jaw forward and back is usually something we might see as like a dysfunctional thing or something that's out of balance, you know, that might be true in the extremes, uh, but it can be functional in the, in the um, subtle sense of the m movement, but not a lot of people in terms of jaw function actually practice mm. and explore the ability for the jaw to easily move forward and back. Mm. Um, which would then access more um, unusual muscles like the pterygoids and then the side to side which is um, part of my assessment methods course is we actually look at a side to side um, and that's interesting the side to side can again like you know just explore a range of motion within um, the whole jaw function but as well the pterygoids but what's funny about side to side motion is the tongue tends to really chill out when it's side to side it tends to like rest as you do it. I don't know why this is necessarily, but um, uh, we can see if people get very tight tongues and very tight muscles underneath their chin, mm. there's something about wiggling the jaw from the side to side that seems to soften that area quite a bit. So I, I'm, that must be a, less about direct muscle connections and more just like, oh, the, that's how the brain does it. It's like a pattern. Um, so yeah, there are some unusual muscles in there. So yeah, I think if you want to get a, a, a tour of them, you can look in anatomy books. But as you've alluded to, having someone go in and put their finger on it <laughs> with a latex glove inside your mouth, perturbing to begin <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah, what are you doing? Stop <laughs> kneeling on my chest. No, they don't do that. They don't do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so having someone go in, it, it, it puts a brand new context on those muscles, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. What what other like external factors might be playing into a particular jaw issue? And I'm I'm kind of alluding to more like emotional things or habits that we might have. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, there's a few um, things. Yeah. So so state of mind. You know, I'm, I don't know the exact mechanisms of how that works, but um, but the patterns that are based in stress, anxiety, and and the terminology, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard the terminology and the etymology of those words of grit your teeth, grin and bear it. Mm -hmm. All the things associated to leaning into something that's difficult um, can be very much based around the jaw and the teeth mm. um, clenching together. Um, so, you know, we have a, I guess, a, a, a long association with, with the jaws behavior and someone's, uh, stress, uh, external stress factors in their life. So that's, that's absolutely possible. So those people might need to factor in some, uh, jaw release movement and range of motion into their lives a bit more, mm. um, because they do live in a stressful environment or suffer something like that. Um, but uh, one overlooked one maybe with the jaw is also postural mm. changes and there's no perfect posture. Um, but there is, I guess, for the job, there's a functional posture, a range of postures. And so whenever the um, someone's uh, postural balance is a certain way, um, the jaw can be put into a position where it does influence the larynx and the throat and the tongue into sub-optimal positions, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, when the when the shoulders are very far forward, you know, that can encourage the head to go in the same direction. Mm -hmm. um, and when the chest is sunk as well, that can do the same thing. 
um, and whenever the then the jaw is put forward because the head is forward, then we'll have that situation again where um, the tension of the muscles underneath the chin are actually they're high. Mm. they're stretched because the jaw is protruded and then that influenced the larynx forward and then we get it we might lose registers mm. we might lose things like vocal fry because the there's just too much tension transferring to the larynx for you to find the things that you associate with relaxed mm. um vocal folds or or relaxed muscles around the larynx um and so the postural imbalances could stem anywhere from you know foot arch Hip, hip alignment is a really big one mm. um, and how that then af affects everything that is on top of it. So yeah, the postural aspect is important, but not forgetting that posture is also and can also be related to mental state as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, um, a sense of pride, if you like, would tend to stand someone up more in that in that way. So, you know, sometimes we can get to these issues, not just by um, playing around with physiology and movement and postural freedom, but also character mm. um, within singing can align the body uh, in a way that's optimal. And then it only gives you one thing to think about. To think to be like potent and proud like that is a bit easier than thinking, okay, align hip, align shoulder, put the yeah. chin up. You know, that's just really overwhelming. Mm. Um, and the jaw can be one of those instructions I find that's placed into singing that is often just one instruction too many. Mm. You know, remember this, remember the lyric, that riff, stand right, remember to breathe. Mm. And then, oh, we got to make sure that jaw moves as well. And then, you, so you often find a lot of progress is missed with the jaw because um, uh, because it's stacking up on instructions. Mm. So we can, yeah, get to it with character. When you see singers who have a jaw bounce or like a engagement of the jaw when when like vibrato comes through or it's just it's like a shake if you like yeah what is that what is that <laughs> that's the question <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah well um the vibrato is a somewhat of an enigma if you mm. like f um in a lot of in a lot of ways there's research that's done on it but i don't think that's there's enough research done on it for us to sort of fully understand it so um within say opera singing for example mm. um where st a lot of stability on the larynx is desired um then particular structures stabilize the larynx one of those things could be the back of the tongue for example like when someone goes good like a what happens in um when i do a, what's called a canurdle like that the back of the tongue engages slightly and that keeps the larynx in a, in a very stable position Mm. And what that seems to do to vibrato is it seems to uniform, uniformize it. <laughs> What's the word? Make it uniform, Chris. <laughs> um, we won't make up new words today, will we? Uh, but um, but it makes it makes the vibrato more uniform. So it's almost like it's almost like there's a bit of stability that's helped on the larynx, allowing vibrato to swing more intrinsically to the larynx so it's more like the vocal folds moving quickly together and very synergistically okay which is all part of a nervous system reflex as well which is what makes it so so wonderfully uniform but then when you get someone like amy winehouse where larynx stability is not the point um and the larynx moves often moves up and down with pitch 
then in those singers, we might see that actually the pitch slows down or the, the vibrato slows down. It becomes more irregular, which is all part of the charm. Mm. Um, it, it might be wider, slower, irregular. And with those, we do see that the, the tongue tends to move more like external structures tend to move more with with the vibrato in those kind of styles you know even gospel as well and loads of styles basically uh, adele type you know pop singing um so so when that happens yeah when there isn't necessarily a stability placed on the larynx we do see that vibrato is transferred into surrounding um things and then depending on the intensity of what you're singing sometimes the vocal fold closure is very high that often makes the vibrato, um, the extent of the vibrato usually wider and that the chances of that tra then transferring into the rest of the vocal tract is much greater. Mm. Um, so when, when you use a lot of chest in a high belt with vibrato at the very mm. top of the belt range, like belting a D mm. with, with almost like fully chest. So that's why we might then see them that also um, transfer into the jaw right. and, and, you know, the rest of it as well. Mm. There's so much going on at one time. Uh, can we ever be confident in knowing that we're on the right part of the anatomy or vocal mechanism other than rather than the other things it could be? So could it be tongue rather than jaw? Could it be breath rather than tongue? Could it So how do we know mm. what to do? <laughs> yeah, well look, the first thing to know is that we are a system. Uh -huh. Um, so the culprit of um, an, a vocal issue is often unknown. Mm. But what we see is we see either a symptom that if we minimize it will create a change in the rest of the system. Mm. So if we change the tongue, we do change the vocal folds. There's, there's, there's very rarely no, I, th I think it's impossible to not have a change in the, in the rest of the system by changing the jaw by a little bit or the tongue by a little bit, something changes, sometimes imperceptible, think, meaning you don't realize it's changed. Mm. Sometimes very perceptible, it's a very noticeable change, right? But either way, there's always, there's always a change in the system. Um, so we can't know which one it is, but what that means is that because we have a system of different systems all affecting each other, it means there's a way into the system through any of the systems. Mm which is why we get groups of people who go, it's all about the breath. Well, yeah, I mean, you can affect very much, very many things through breath. It might not be the culprit, but it is your mechanism to change things. Mm. We can change register through breath. We can change um, how the vocal folds close by changing breath. If we restrict breath, we can increase closure. Mm. And that's, uh, that's because we rely on a reflex further up that, triggers that's part of our um, nervous system so when it comes to the jaw and the tongue yeah they're sort of very closely related um so when you work on one you usually change the other mm. and vice versa mm. so it you know when you do have like people who appear to have issues with their tongue or tongue tension or something you could get it via the tongue you could get it via the jaw um because it changes the behavior of the tongue mm -hmm. um, so it almost doesn't matter which one it is, but if you have a process by which you can poke around with what mm -hmm. might be ways into the system, you'll see changes start to happen. And the the best place to start is where the issue is, is supposed to be from, from the singer's point of view. Mm. 
so if you start there and then what you you basically grow out your knowledge to go okay so i let's start with the tongue nothing's happening what do, what do i know about the dependencies of the tongue okay the jaw is a big a big influencer mm. so then you can go to the jaw and then sometimes you can go okay but both of those guys um, can jump in to support problems with the vocal folds even injury so then you start looking down there and that's how a process of assessment if you like of singers is so important mm. for you to understand which which is the best way into this system to make the, to make the change and it might might not always be the part of the system where the problem is mm. is that why it kind of always feels like the thing that you're studying at that particular time always is the thing <laughs> that's arising in the student <laughs> yes well yeah 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 i've learned this new thing and it's worked for everybody and it's like well yeah because every part of the system changes every part of the system mm. um and equally what's really good I, what i like about that is um those same exercises that you talk about they may really help a bunch of people but they also make a bunch of people completely bomb mm like completely fall apart. So we can not only see how system resolutions can happen, but also how system collapses yeah. happen as well, which I think is equally as valuable mm. to know as a vocal coach. Because mm. uh, if, if you take away, or if you take away something from somebody, if you change something in the system, then, then they fall apart. You're like, oh, I found a silver bullet. <laughs> mm. I found the singer's nemesis, right? And for some singers, the, the situation they're going into presents them with their nemesis every time. Mm. <laughs> so we've kind of got to, we can play around them with the singer's training to go, oh, how can I make this not a nemesis? Mm. How can I have the singer not invest or put all of their eggs in this particular basket? Um, and so for some people, that's their breathing. You know, if, the, if they can't put a load of air behind it, it ain't happening. Mm. That makes airflow a silver bullet. Because yeah. if they have to then dance on stage, they're kind of screwed. Mm. So yeah, that's that's um that's kind of digressing from the jaw, but rather it makes the point of like, yeah, th we are a system when nothing ever is alone in its in its yeah. sort of symptom or presentation. Which is quite nice, really, to to know because then as teachers, we we have something to make us feel not a complete failure <laughs> in some of those lessons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, completely. Yeah, there's many ways in. So you can you can get into is that's why yeah, like you said, uh, we can get into fads. Hmm. But the fads still work. Um, yeah. But sen then sitting back and looking at all my fads going oh, actually, that was really good. Now I want to figure out how that fad related to that fad. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, then what I what I did with assessment methods is probably just a, a great big uh, uh, collection of fads <laughs> put together. But now they actually go, okay, now I actually know how they affect each other. So it can yeah. be less less faddy and then you can kind of go, no, it's just it's just having more pieces of the system in your process um, so you can resolve a problem quicker. How can we go about assessing the jaw then? And what is that process like? As if I'm a willing test pupil, if you think that would help. Yeah, well, look, one of the we can we can go with what we see. So this might not present itself in you itself, mm. um, but as we uh, observe singers, we might see that from a speech position or their speech. When you watch them talk, you would um, pay particular attention to their jaw, mm -hmm. only because they've said, "Oh, I'm suffering some serious jaw tension." So you, your your attention is already drawn to that area and mm. how it's working. So then we can make the uh, distinction between how are they talking and then when they go into singing, do they then um, completely alter the behavior of the jaw 
in which case then we know there's oh there's a big departure there from what they're doing normally in speech mm -hmm. so there must be something that they're trying to change in lieu of knowing how to really do it so if someone doesn't really know how to hit a high note for example they may leverage the jaw and so you'd see that behavioral change so that's the first kind of thing that you see mm. sometimes sometimes they don't even say they've got jaw tension they just say they've got voice trouble and you just notice that along the way yeah so you have what they see and then if if there's some of that going on um one of the first assessments that i do in in uh, the full assessment suite that i have in in my course is um to wiggle the jaw from side to side mm. um which you know depending on the singer usually has some quite distinct results um, for people who either are complaining of jaw stuff or also have tongue tension as well because mm. of how they interrelate. So having someone sing a line normally, nothing too whackingly high for this one, um, but then sing the line again whilst continuing the jaw to wiggle as they sing the line. And what that tends to do is generate either, oh, positive, that was good. That felt much looser. I, or no, I didn't really feel anything at all. And as a, as a teacher, you're like, yeah, it didn't sound like it changed anything either. Mm. Um, so, you know, you might be sort of moving away from the jaw or they might have completely fallen apart, in which case you've probably found a silver bullet, mm. something that's still relevant. So the jaw wiggling from side to side is very useful. Mm -hmm. But then moving out from there, if you felt like, okay, we got some use out of the jaw wiggle, it was a positive result for the singer the, the voice was easier or sounded better mm. um then what we might do is then explore the the jaws range of motion and how it moves mm -hmm. um whereby what we would do is uh, open and close the mouth quite simply and by doing that a little bit what we might see is we might see zigzagging movements of the jaw we might see as the jaw opens that it really pulls backwards really uh, sort of much further than you expect or they might put it out to open it and it comes forward to open either way what we might be seeing is if it if it doesn't look like it goes straight up and down which is not necessarily the goal to have it perfectly straight up and down like i said we are wonky um but the more you kind of move jaws around and you and you go do seminars with people like stephen king you'll start to get to know what might be like okay that what that might point to a little bit more dysfunction than just wonkiness mm when the jaw moves particularly far in one direction, backwards, forwards, or off to the side. Um, and then when you've got that kind of in your, um, uh, in your thoughts, that's when you can start to go, okay, depending on which uh, movement you've been presented with, you can then start to explore the voice. And one of the greatest ones, I think, for me to explore range of motion um, uh, that on the up and down plane is by doing like the reverse jaw opening, which is where you hold your chin mm. and you uh, put your head back instead. And what's great about that one is that in order to do that well, someone has to release the bite in their jaw, mm. right? And gradually you can get further back. There was an old Colgate advert that I put in my training program, a gif of the Colgate advert. He used to just flip his head back and just brush his teeth. <laughs> It was so good. I wish I could do that with my uh, son <laughs> who just bites his teeth and goes, no. Um, so there's that. Um, so that simultaneously can help someone to release the bite uh, in the jaw if that, if that is part of the problem, if actually they can't open their mouth without pain. Um, but 
the beauty of tipping the head back is it doesn't introduce any tension to the muscles that join from the chin and the jaw to the larynx, mm. which is if you don't tip your head back and you open it in this direction, when people stretch this by doing that, they just introduce loads of tension here mm. underneath the chin. So it sometimes isn't, um, you might, you might get some benefit from it, but really you might just be introducing problems and tensions elsewhere. Mm. that are going to gather so the best way i've found around that is um yeah is to work on the range of motion where the jaw is stable yeah. uh the mandible and then tipping the head back so that's one of, that's something some people can try mm. um when they're trying to release people and then people when they've when they've done it a few times they can usually get a level of loose opening in their jaw that they didn't have prior after mm. just doing the flip top head a few times and then just letting it sit open and putting their head back to normal mm. With things like wiggles and movement, is that enough to change the behaviour of the muscle when we're singing because it's too busy doing something else? Or will we need to do other things too? Yeah. Oh, great question. So, yeah, um, if, if, um, if, if the problem is, say, isolated to the jaw and actually the jaw itself, the muscles there, the main thing is to release the muscles is going to have a positive effect on the voice. And often, you know, you just have to kind of follow the jaw exercise road mm. in order to see if that benefit plays out. So there is some, you know, when you don't have too many tools, there is some level of taking a punt. Mm. Um, but what what's important with that, there's nothing wrong with, you know, taking a stab in the dark um, at it. What's important is recognizing that over time it doesn't change, mm -hmm. which is often something teachers, you know, can struggle with because they often the mindset is this should work or they're not getting it. Yeah. If we get out of that mindset a little bit and go, look, the jaw responds to the system. So it may well be that releasing the jaw is wonderful and that may give, get you a great result and actually it sticks for some reason over time. The person's nervous system accepts the change and then they are looser after a bit of movement. Mm. That, that does happen. Or what you see is it loosens up for a short time and then it's back to tense again. Mm. Meaning there's a chance that the jaw is just a compensation. The jaw actually is helping. Mm. a situation that otherwise might not work very well. So then we can't say, oh, the jaw is a pain in the bum. We kind of go, no, the jaw, the jaw itself is probably going, oh, if I didn't do this, you wouldn't be in business. So mm. you can't just release me. Like you've got to, you've got to take, take the responsibility that I, I have off me. And for some people, like I said earlier, that could be like switching to going, okay, in terms of vocal registers, do they have falsetto? Mm. Is there a strainy breathiness in their voice? Um, uh, do they often have trouble running out of breath or does their like postural stance look kind of slumped in some way? There's a lot of uh, other things that we can open out and go, okay, I'm, I'm going to take my attention off the jaw. We'll do some movements with it. Um, but um, it could be subscribed into another role. So then you just go exploring the body elsewhere. Mm. Um, and one crazy one that um, some people have, if, if, if you're at home and you open and close your jaw and you notice that there's some pain or restriction mm. on one side, most, most of the time people have a difficult side of the jaw. Yeah. Um, the, the, I've got, I learned this from Feldenkrais uh, principles but, and tested it out on a lot of people. But if you were to simultaneously turn your head as you open your jaw, and here's, here's where it gets just a bit weird. So you turn it to one side, so let's say it's just the right side. 
if you also raise your shoulder as you go up but you're going to eat your shoulder yeah like you're going to eat your shoulder yeah <laughs> then what you what i've found with a bunch of people quite a big bunch of people is that they're like oh my jaw feels completely normal now completely normal now that the whole complex of like jaw down to like the traps that go from like you know where arguably where the jaw is you know they're going towards a similar point towards the back of the skull and then going down to the shoulder when people either turn to the side that they have trouble with or even to the other side you do it to the left to the opposite side if you find that a combination of head jaw and shoulder movement together um, tend to make your jaw feel normal that's just another one of those things where going oh my jaw is just the last link in the chain that's giving me the pain mm. but but the whole complex of muscles that might just have got very tight in some way mm. um, or something else uh, that's what's causing it so then we're like oh maybe actually my jaw trouble is actually shoulder trouble mm. which could be you know anything to do with how you exercise or sit all day or some something like that mm. um, so if you are if you do suffer from jaw trouble out there or your students do try that turning opening and the jaw and the shoulder up and you know you might find half the people go oh that's miraculous mm. and then then i'm sorry but you're gonna have to go down the rabbit hole of why that is because uh <laughs> it's it, yeah there's not enough time today yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just so we just so i'm clear in terms of where we can use this jaw stuff can we still can we take it into things like belt and like classical as well i mean we, I, I don't teach classical but for those that might yeah, absolutely. So, you know, talking earlier about the stability of the larynx, um, at the, in the extremes of the voice, uh, like at the top of someone's bell, you know, when they are kind of like getting sort of sailing close to the wind in terms of the top, top range of that, um, it is going to be important for some level of stability to be on the jaw. Mm. Um, only because the larynx is going to need to be behave. It's going to need to be able to move. And if, if perchance it needs to move up, which in a lot of belting styles it will, mm -hmm. it might need to move up. And it might need to move up also to accommodate certain um, vibrato mm -hmm. styles as well. It might move with the vibrato. So when you, have, when you want the larynx to do that, you also don't want to throw the jaw into the mix. Mm -hmm. Because if the larynx needs to go up, but the jaw is put down in a kind of like fully dropped way, that might completely obliterate what the larynx was intending to do. Right. So the larynx needs to go up. Things need to maybe, you know, change a bit up above the larynx. But the jaws, the jaws behavior is saying, go down, go down. So then it's like, oh, I keep breaking, mm. keep breaking on that high note. And I sound like a scattergun with air. Um, and so the amount of times that I've seen at the top of someone's belt, um, when we have used a bone prop or a or a fingertip to stabilize the larynx uh, to stabilize the jaw then all of those options for the larynx and and intensity mm. have have come there uh, at the same time so yeah the same can be applied to classical in different contexts but um personally i'm not a classical teacher so i can't give you the ins and outs of that mm. well thank you so much do you have any resources that we can look at relating to articulation in particular Yes, absolutely. Um, so with within, I have a, a free community that you can um, uh, apply to, but um, where, where I have free training, basically, it's like a Facebook group on Circle. But the way you can um, you can arrive on it 
and there's articulation stuff um, in there uh, is if you go to teachvoice.com forward slash email and as you join uh, my email uh, newsletter the first um, uh, email that will arrive to you will show you where to go for all that um, and so what I have is I have free training there but also um, uh, I have a, a course called vocal assessment methods where articulation is part of the assessment mm -hmm. along with other physical movements of shoulders arms and other bits and pieces but um so that's they're my main main pieces but within the community that um i run lots of people just ask general questions about that so the discussions that come out usually put some more nuanced angles and other, and obviously other people's um successes and opinions that also come out in those threads that are really interesting mm, great and what's coming up with teach voice in the future yeah, so at the moment, yeah, um, I've got a wonderful community on Circle um, that is uh, that is growing. So I'm putting a lot of effort into just kind of creating a community there, which is very supportive, um, where people can connect with each other, um, which is, you know, I don't get me wrong, I love the Facebook thing. It's it's huge, but um, the, the Discord can get a bit crazy uh, on there. And not everybody feels very confident in asking a question for fear of, you know, um, being taken down by peers. Um, so I, I really wanted to create a place that, that didn't have that. So that's what this community is for. Um, so that's where most of my main stuff is. But um, on the back end of that, yeah, I'm creating s short courses that um, are there to... Uh, plug in knowledge gaps that coaches feel like they might have and also have a program called evolve which is much more of a long term um, it's a 12-month course where uh, vocal coaches can upskill that's currently in version two at the moment so um, they're the big things that are going on for me at the moment and just they take up a lot of time but they are super enjoyable i've been on quite a few of your courses and, and know how how valuable they are so yeah, they're definitely worth checking out. Um, but Chris Johnson, or Chris Johnson, as I should <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still get yeah, I've got it written down. I should have looked. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time. It's always great to learn from you. Thank you very much. Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place! BAST are here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website www.basttraining.com.